All right, well, we are going to get going here this morning uh, with, the, with the sermon. Uh, and this morning it's called, We Will Not Neglect the House of Our God, Nehemiah 10. Uh, that happens to be verse 39. But if you want to open up your Bible, turn your Bible on, uh, if you need a Bible, there should be one in the chair in front of you. We are going to go to Nehemiah chapter 10, and we'll get started this morning. So as we closed out Nehemiah chapter 9, what we saw was that was, was a repentance of the people of God, uh, and, and then them moving forward in a commitment to begin to follow the things of God. And it says that they began to enter into a covenant uh, with God. Chapter 10 begins with all of the names of the people that are uh, on that uh, covenant, that have signed and sealed this covenant, this agreement that they're making. And it's an agreement between themselves and God to be followers, to be following the things of God. Now, I'm going to spare you and me this, this week of reading all of those names, all right? Because, you know, I know I'm getting better, and I know you guys really want to hear all those names, but if you want to study those names or whatever, you just go into that. Uh, we're going to start in at verse 28, all right, as we look into this. And, and it's the obligations of this covenant uh, that the people have uh, made this commitment to follow the ways and the laws of God. Now, verse 28 says, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the people of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules and his statutes." We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the lands bring in goods or any grains on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offerings, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it to the house of the Lord our God according to our fathers' houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil to the priests to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. And the priests, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister 
and the gatekeepers and the singers, we will not neglect the house of our God. I'm going to start in chapter 11, and then we'll, we'll, we'll just go back and review. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring them out, to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns, and the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Now it goes on from there throughout the rest of verse, or chapter 11 to make lists of the different people and the numbers and what that looked like and the people who were actually settled and living in Jerusalem. I'm going to spare you and me again of that, and I'm not going to read through that. You can check that out on your own. But again, as we think about lists and we, we think about this documentation, we want to remember and we want to be mindful that God doesn't forget. Men forget. Men forget what we've done. And as a matter of fact, it doesn't take very long before we forget our history and things that have done, but God documented this because God does not forget, and God made these lists. There's one list, there's one really important list that, that everybody in here needs to make sure you're on, and that's the list that, that, that of the Lamb's Book of Life. Every name has to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There's one access point into that book, and it's, it's through the cross, it's through the cross, and, it's a, and, and when we trust and when we believe and we admit that we're sinful and that we're in need of a Savior, when we believe that Jesus is that Savior, that he came to save us, and then we commit our lives to follow him, to make him Lord of our lives, the, the, the promise of that covenant comes true for you and me, that new covenant in which uh, we are saved, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, and we are guaranteed eternal life. So, Verse 1, we're just going to look at this and look again at, at what has happened, that, that the people have made a solemn commitment. As a matter of fact, they've entered into a covenant with God to follow the laws of God. And, and, and remember, when, when, when the people of God are following the rules and the, and, and the parameters by which God has laid out life and some of these things, what it does is it separates them from the other cultures and civilizations that are around them, from the, from the pagan cultures that are around them, as, as they begin to uh, interact both with God and with one another, it, it sets them apart in that relationship. It makes them kind of stand out. It makes the people around them and in the different communities say, wow, what is it about these people of God and how they interact with one another and how they're interacting with God as well. Remember, if you're in a part of a pagan belief system in this, uh, generally the, the, the pagan belief systems, God is unconcerned. The gods, I would say, the, the multiple gods, are unconcerned with, with the affairs of people. They're not concerned about people. As a matter of fact, generally all they ever do with people is manipulate people for their pleasure and for their, their, their kind of... So, so this idea of this God who's a personal God, a God who would give directives, a God who would teach his people how to live, and a people who would, who would become committed to follow and to walk in the statutes and the ways and the laws of God are become a people who stand out kind of like a sore thumb in their culture around them. The word covenant itself, it literally means to cut. They would talk about to cut covenant. And, and what generally would happen was, it was that literally these things were laid out 
in, in a blood, uh, sealed in blood, no less. They would lay out like a heifer, and they would lay out the sides of it, and birds and different things, and, and then they would walk between these things. If, if, you know, neighbors decided to enter into a covenant with one another, they, they, would, uh, they would actually walk between those halves. And, and what that symbolized was this idea, like, if we, if we break our part of the covenant... This is what happens, kind of. It was a death kind of a thing. It was, it was something that really, that, that there wasn't the option to break it. See, God has laid covenants with, with his people uh, since the beginning. If we started at the beginning of the Bible, we would see a covenant that God gives to Noah. And, and it's a promise to never again, even though people's hearts are deceptive and even though people's hearts are wicked, that God has made a promise on his end that he would not destroy the earth again by flood, that he wouldn't deal with people in that capacity um, ever again. And, and then he makes a covenant with Abraham. We, we see this covenant in which he promises a land to Abraham, and not just an, a land, but descendants. He, he promises him a legacy, a future um, in, in which all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. It was a promised son that was part of this covenant that God made with Abraham. Ultimately, we see Abraham also, or God, I'm sorry, God makes a covenant with the people of Israel. And that covenant with the people of Israel is this, to make them a beloved people, a, a, a people that are the, the object of his affection, and also a, a, a holy nation, a priesthood, if you will, and a holy nation. And this covenant, though, was a conditional covenant. It was a, it was a covenant that, that was applicable as long as the people of Israel would follow God, as long as they did their part as long as they followed. And what we see here in the book of Nehemiah is a reckoning with the people saying, look, we haven't done this. We, we haven't followed the things of God. And, and what they begin to understand is that the source of their captivity isn't that Babylon was more powerful than them. It wasn't that Babylon was, was this, this nation that was able to somehow outmaneuver them or, 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 or technologically advance on them. It was because they had become disobedient to the God who was their portion, to the God who was their sustenance, to the God who was able to save them and to keep them out of the jam that they were in. And so they begin to recognize that the reason that we are in the condition that we're in today is because the people of God haven't followed the ways of God, the things of God. And so they recognize that what they need to do is that they need to get back. They need to repent, if you will, or turn. They need to turn away from what they've been doing because the people of Israel at this point have turned to other gods and other ways and, and they, they've followed. They, they just haven't followed and they haven't listened to what God has said. And therefore, God has brought them into a place of captivity. Maybe that's true in your own life. Maybe, maybe sometimes what we need to do is we need to recognize that we need to be a people that quit blaming God on many, many uh, instances for what has happened in our lives and recognize that we've done the very thing that God told us not to do. And therefore, that is the condition and the reasons why we can find ourselves sometimes in the bondage that we find ourselves in. You see, God is about our freedom. God, God is, is intimately concerned with your freedom and my freedom. It's for freedom, it says even, that we have been set free. But again, as we begin to uh, start to say, well, what is freedom? How do we, how do we talk about freedom? How do, we, how do we define freedom? Freedom is not you and I doing what we want to do. 
You and I doing the very things that we want to do, I don't know if you're like me, it'll lead you straight to bondage. It'll lead you straight to bondage pretty quickly. See, the problem with us, you know, the whole world says, follow your heart, but, the, but God, the, God's word tells us that, that the heart is, is wickedly deceitful beyond all things. That, that it takes you and me about 0.2 seconds to justify and to get our heart to agree with our mind on something that we ought not to do many times. It takes just no time at all before we can justify it, before we can begin to, to say, oh, yeah. So freedom becomes doing the thing that keeps you out of bondage. That's really what freedom is. It's really just doing the things that keep you out of bondage. And the people of God here have recognized now, oh, it wasn't Babylon that cost us our freedom. It was our disobedience to God, ultimately, that cost us our freedom. And Babylon only was a, a means or a tool or even just this, this really harsh object lesson that the people of Israel are undergoing as they recognize, oh, we turned away from God. And, and that's why the walls of the defense that were around us, in, 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 around Jerusalem, have all fallen is because we allowed the enemy to have access and the enemy always comes and steals, kills, and destroys. It's what he does. It's, it's, it's how this enemy always operates, and that takes a variety of forms always, but the end is always the same. It's always stealing, killing, and destroying. It's always destruction. And, and, and so we've talked about how it's interesting in this that, that since the walls have went back up, the, the people of, of, of God have rebuilt these walls. We've heard nothing about the attacks of the enemy since then. It was only when those walls were down that, that Sanballat and, and Tobiah and, and Geshem were, were, were making their threats against the people of God. But once the wall was completed and the people become, in this sense, obedient again, and now they're, they're, there's no, we, we hear nothing about them. We hear nothing about those threats. And remember, we can't, we, we can't really think that the walls of our lives, the defense that God has for us against an enemy are going to stay up if we are a people who are just living straight in disobedience. It's not that God wants to destroy our walls. It's just that we give access to the enemy, and the enemy comes in and always begins to tear those things down. The other thing we hear a lot, so they, they've entered into this covenant, and in this covenant, we hear a lot about their, their, uh, their commitment. They're committed to to, to follow the ways of God, to, to get back to old things. Remember, like we talked before, we don't need new things in this culture. What we need is old things. We need old things. We need a renewal of the things of God to begin to, to show us and to remind us how to live. You see, there are, there are, there are, certain, there are certain foundational things in this nation that, that are really a requirement for our nation to stay a free uh, society. The, the, uh, I can't remember who it was. One of the founding fathers said that, 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 it is, uh, that, that this nation or this republic that we have is, is, is utterly um, impossible except for a people who have a moral and a religious outlook. Why? Because to be free and to have, live in a free society, you have to be internally motivated to do the right thing. You, you, if you can't be internally motivated to do the right thing, or we as a people or as a culture can't, then it requires more law and more regulation to keep things in order. And, and so these people have recognized that actually when we're following God's laws, that actually we're living in a harmony with both God and with one another, 
And we actually find an experience of freedom that we didn't have before that. You see that these people are bringing their first fruits to God. They're bringing their first fruits. Everything that they do in their life, the first fruits are given to God. And, and I think that in reality where we're at, and, and I'm going to talk, as I talk about the church here this morning, I'm not, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not talking, I'm talking about other churches. You guys know that, right? Because we're not messed up like other churches. No, honestly, we all got to hear this because it's the truth. You see, we, we don't tend to give God our first fruits. We tend to give God our leftovers. We, we tend to approach God as, as, as that he gets what's left over at the end of the day. Instead of prioritizing and recognizing that really what we need to be concentrating on is the building of God's church and God's people. And we need to be a people who are committed to that, who are joined together, who understand the function and the role of the church in the society that we live in today. See, again, we want to just point our fingers out the door and we want to blame everything. We want to look at the world and we want to be upset and mad about what the world, what's going on in the world. But what God is saying is that, you know, first and foremost, you guys need to be a people who are set apart. You guys need to, you need to look different. You need to operate different. And you need, to, you need to be a people who are living so well in fellowship and loving each other so well that, that the world on the outside wants to get on the inside. But the way it is, as we accuse the world and we just judge the world and we just bring accusations against the world and we judge them for not being Christians or not acting like Christians, well, well then the inside of this place becomes the last place that anybody would ever want to come to because they are fearful that all they would receive here is judgment and rejection instead of God's love and His grace and, and His people who are operating. You see, see if, if, if the people in the world look at the church, and, and as they look at the church, all they can see is that, is that it must not be working for you, then why would you want to be a part of that? If there's nothing in, in, about our lives and about the way that we're doing things that would indicate that God is a priority and that the church is a priority, then why would anybody else want to come? I, I mean, it just doesn't make sense, right? But they committed themselves to God's house. They, they made a commitment to no longer neglect the house of God. They committed themselves to give, to serve, and they even moved, and God moved people around to see the ministry of the temple and all of that fulfilled, and so that it would do it. The people gave sacrificially on so many different levels in here. And it was because they recognized that because they had neglected God's ways that they were in captivity. And now they see that the way to keep themselves out of bondage is to begin to follow God's ways, not just as individuals, though, but as a community with a central place of worship. Now, see, God has never called any one of us to just be lone rangers. There, there is no lone ranger Christians out there. If you're operating as a lone ranger Christian today, I'm just going to tell you you're operating outside of the plan that God has for the church. The church is a body, it's a, it's a multiplicity, it's, it, it's, it's, uh, it's diversity brought into unity. It, it's a picture of who God is. It's all of us messed up people with a few gifts and different things that God has given us operating in a way that challenges the world and challenges the world in a way that, that doesn't even make a lot of sense because we really are unequipped. We really don't know what we're doing. We're all a mess in here. We've all got our stuff and our junk, but somehow the God of the universe 
universe is into this thing, and he's going to make things happen, and the church operates for the glory of God. Amen, right? Somehow. And, and I think that this is the best way that we can relate this lesson in Nehemiah today is, is that we relate it to the church. See, we wonder today, like, what is the church? What is it? Why are we doing it? Do we even need to do it? How do we do it? All of these things are real, right? We, we've, got, we've got the... The world out there is saying, I don't know if you look at the homepage, you'll see just thing after thing about, about the decline of the church in America, right? And they're giddy about it. They're, they're, they're giddy about it. The decline of the church in America. Well, I'm going to hold, I don't believe that. I believe that there are some churches in America that need to decline, okay? There, there are some mainline denominational affiliations, and I'm not trying to put us above that or anything like that because we're non-denominational, but, but there are some denominations and their practices and their liberal beliefs and their approach to the Bible that those churches need to go away because they're not even churches anymore. So, so that's good. That, that's fine that they do that. But I believe that the church is growing. I know that the church is growing, and the church is going to continue to grow. You see, because we don't build the church. Jesus builds his church, right? It's Jesus who said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. it, it it's not tries building God's, Jesus' church. It's not that you are building Jesus. Jesus is building his church. And, and the enemy will never triumph over the church. The church is this thing that is implanted into the middle of the, of, of the world. It, it's a global entity. And it will not be defeated. Because, and we don't fight from a place wondering if we're going to win. We fight from a place of victory. We've already won. We're just waiting for this all to play out, right? See, it's hard because we see the moral failings in the leadership of the church. You see all these big churches and see all the pastors put up on big pedestals. We watch those guys fall off of those pedestals one after another. Why? Because men are never meant to be on the pedestal of the church. Jesus is, right? But you see, we're so consumer-oriented in our culture today that, that what do we want? Well, we want, we want the most amazing bands with the most amazing uh, uh, musicians. We want the greatest speakers. We want, and, and those things are fine. I mean, talent is fine. Don't get me wrong. And it's, good, it's a good thing. But you see, when we become a consumeristic culture, seeking and, and treating the church like we're consumers, then we've missed the point of the church. See, because we're not called to be um, just consumers. We're, we're, we're not called to, to just be like, uh, you, know, um, you know, if you guys aren't doing it like I want it done, I'm just going to go down the road because I'm pretty sure they're doing it. No, we're supposed to roll our shirts. Is there something you don't like in here? And I can't believe that would be the case. <laughs> but we're supposed to roll up our shirt sleeves and we're supposed to see some change in this thing. We're supposed to be a part of some change. We're not supposed to just sit back and wait. I mean, I, I, I think that my deepest prayer is that we would really operate as a church. How do we do that? I got no clue. I, I got no idea. I really don't. But, but, but Jesus knows how to do this, and, and he's powerful in this. And I believe that if we, we begin to talk about this more and we begin to uh, approach this, that, that he's going to work that out. You know, sometimes we'll say, hear people say, well, you know, my church is up on the mountain. My church is on the mountain. No, it's not. Okay, I love the mountain, and, and the mountain is a place where you can go, and you certainly can feel close to God. 
because, we're, because his creation is his initial revelation to, of, of who he is. So when we look around and we're up in the mountains or we're in the ocean or someplace where it's just full of, you know, we recognize, we're like, wow, man, there's a God who made this and I feel close to him and that's awesome. But you see, the problem with that is that that's about you. The church isn't about you. The church isn't about you and me just doing this thing in a way that pleases us the best and, 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 and defining the terms of what the church is and how we do church. No, the mountain is a great place to go up and to feel close to God and, and to have some one-on-one time with God and some, some retreat time with God or whatever that looks like, but never substitute the mountain for the church. Church is a different thing. It's the, it's the ecclesia. It's the ones who are called out. It's the called out ones. It's because Jesus is calling his people to come out from a corrupted world and to live a new life, to live a new thing under the reign of Christ and inviting others to do the same. You see, Jesus is the one who fulfilled all of the covenants, the, the covenant of Noah, where, where even though our hearts are still wicked and deceptive, he has chosen not to just destroy us. Not to destroy us, but he's even done one better because through Jesus, he's given us access to a holy and perfect God in which one day you and I will be perfected. And he's perfecting us now. He's working us in a place of sanctification and he's moving in us. He's growing us more and more day by day. See, he fulfills the Abrahamic covenant, right? Because he is the promised son through which all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. He fulfills that covenant. And, and the covenant for Israel where Israel didn't fulfill and they didn't follow the law and they didn't do it all right, you see, he did it right for us. And he the, becomes the fulfillment of the law in that so that you and I might become the righteousness of Christ. And ultimately, the Davidic covenant, which was the covenant that there would be a, a, a ruler from the line of David that would have a perpetual eternal kingdom, he sits at the right hand of the Father today and he rules and he reigns. You see, the church is both inside and outside of time. We're inside of time because you and I right now, we exist in the time that we exist right now. And, and, and this is the, the time where you and I are operating within the church in the present. But we're tied to the past. We're tied to the church of the past. As a matter of fact, it's the church of the past in God's word that has given us directive of even how to do the church presently. And as we look and we understand and we see the heroes of the faith and different things like that, we're tied to the church of the past and the people, God's people from the past, and they're teaching us and they're helping us to learn presently how to do this thing. We're also tied to the church of the future because it's our job, like you were saying, Ryan, to leave a legacy to leave a legacy, to, that the church will carry on, that it will be the thing that, that our kids can have in the future and that they can walk as Jesus followers within his church, inviting others to come and to join them as well. It's both a local expression and it's a global expression. Our church body right here, the Rock Church, is not the church. We're a fellowship. We're a part of the greater church. God's church is a global entity. It exists of all of those who have trusted Jesus on a global scale. And it's impacting this world all the time right now. All the time. We're doing our little part and 
Barney over in Nepal is doing his little part, and Misha in Ukraine is doing his part, and, and their church bodies are doing, and, and we're affecting change in this world. You see, we're not going to, I keep telling you this, and you're going to get tired of me saying it, but we are not going to elect a savior. We want to see change in the world, have more spiritual conversations than political ones. Be telling people about Jesus, because when we want to see change in the world, that's what's going to bring change in the world. Not just, not just some laws and regulations and power grabs and all of those kinds of things like what we've got going on, but renewed, changed hearts, new creations. That's what changes the world. And Jesus is doing it one life at a time. And we have the privilege and the ability to be a part of that. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1-2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the, our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Again, the church is a local and a global expression. And the church is the means by which God is revealing his glory to the world ever since the book of Acts. For 2,000 years now, basically, God is revealing his glory to the world around him. And the church is his chosen vehicle for doing that. It's his way of bringing glory or making himself famous to the world around so that others can see. He's doing it through his church. Jesus died for the church. You don't like the church? You got a problem. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say that it's hard. Your, your, your love for Jesus is questionable if you don't love the church. Now, that doesn't mean you love everything about the church, but you got to love the church. Even the beautiful mess that it is, we got to love the church because Jesus died for the church. And the church is his plan. It's his thing. Ephesians 3.10, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Now, that's an interesting thing to me, that the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the heavenly realms by his church. I can't tell you what that means other than this is what I think. That when the heavenly realms that are in opposition even to the things of God look down at what a mess you and I are, but yet how somehow we're changing this world, we're affecting change, we're, we're, we're doing things um, in the name of Jesus that are m making some kind of a difference in the world around us, then the rest of them go, man, it must be God, because <laughs> there's no way they could pull it off. There's just no way. And this wisdom of God, which doesn't agree with the wisdom of men. See, it's, it's the problem. Sometimes when we start talking about this idea of church growth and church growth models and stuff like that, we become marketing agents, and we're never called to just be marketers in this. Now, don't get me wrong. It's good to be wise in that, and, and, and it's not like we don't want to have some sort of a plan, but we're not called to be marketers. We're called to be seed planters, and when we plant seeds, it's God who causes them to grow. We, cause, we, we, we just plant seeds, and then we nurture those seeds, and we care for those seeds. We don't launch things. We plant seeds. To neglect the church is to neglect God's greatest means of revealing himself to the world. God manifests himself first in his people, 
and then corporately through his church. It's why you can't be a loner in this. See, God is calling you and me to something bigger than ourselves. It's the church. John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The standard is love and, and how we do that. And, and we struggle with that. And we've, we, you know, we've, we've struggled with that. And we've, we've had our failures in that. But that doesn't change the standard. The standard is how we love one another and what that looks like to the world around us. To where, where, the, where, the, where the world would say, well, why do you do that? Why do you, why do you give like that? Why do you serve like that? Why do you, why, why, why do you, not, just, why do you not just consume? Like, why, why don't you just keep doing this? How come, you, how come you would take time for somebody? How come you would meet with, how come you would prioritize these different things in your life? See, when we do that, we're showing the love that we have for one another. When we live and, and, and if we stay together long enough and we, we go at this long enough, we're going to offend one another and, and we're going to have to practice just forgiveness and, and, and some of these different things. And, but when we do that, you see, instead of just doing it the way that the world does, we, we point to something different. I think sometimes maybe we have to look at how we do church. I think that our message stays the same, but, but our approach and, and how we do church is, it has kind of changed and evolved different times throughout, throughout the, the time since the book of Acts. Um, culture changes, and, and, and now we live in a place right now where we, we live in a post, kind of we're in more of a post-Christian nation than what we used to be. Back in the 60s and different things like that, people, everybody knew a lot of things that today people don't know because they're uh, totally unchurched. Where there's a generation of, of young people that are being raised up that just don't know anything about Jesus because their parents quit church, and they were raised totally apart from it and stuff. And so we can't always just assume that we can keep doing church in the same manner and by the same means. You see, we, we need to recognize that so many times we, we take church out the door with us, and, and, and that's a big part of doing church and what that looks like. I'm really excited for all you guys who have coaching, there are coaches, because a coaching ministry is a powerful ministry. It's an opportunity to, to, to help kids, and you become a very dynamic figure in, in kids' lives, larger than life, with opportunities to share the hope of Jesus, with an opportunity to, to do something much more meaningful than teaching them how to play a sport, something about life and eternal life and and what that looks like in their relationship to God. You have those opportunities. I get really excited. I could get really excited about the idea of church going out of the doors here into these different realms. For us, for, for my family, it's, it's, it's hockey. We, we're praying for, uh, for this realm of hockey. And, 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 you know, hockey needs some Jesus. I'm just going to say it just does, you know. It always has, and so does everything else, right? But, but, um, but, but we, we, we find ourselves in that because our boys love it, and I love it. But, um, and, 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 and I'm believing, I'm seeing God do some things in that, in that. and I want to see, I'm excited to see more. I just want to see people come to know Jesus. Well, what if the church fails to be the church? Well, then we've got a real problem, and I'm just going to say that the church in the past at different times in history has failed to be the church. I'll give you one example. It was 
in World War II in Germany, there were 65 million people in Germany. 45 million of those people would claim to be Christians. But when Adolf Hitler killed 6 million Jews, only 150,000 of those Christians stood up and said anything about it, against it. 150,000. I read an account the other day where, where there was a church that was close to a railroad line where they were bringing, they had boxcars full of Jewish people that were coming. And, and you know what they would do whenever, because they would come by and they were all in these, these like cattle cars in the, in the train. And they came by almost every morning during their worship service. And do you know what that church did? They sang louder so they wouldn't have to hear it. They sang louder so that they wouldn't have to hear it. We don't want to be that. God, protect us from that. Lord, we thank you for your church. We thank you that it's your idea. We thank you that you've given us the privilege to be a part of something greater than ourselves, something more than what we could ever ask for or imagine, that you're good and that you have a good plan for your church. And Lord, we pray that you would help us just to, to be committed followers of you, to follow close to you, to, to just maybe take a minute and, and, and even just reflect on how we do church. And maybe say with that, what if everybody did church the same way that I did church? What if everybody served the way that I served? What if everybody gave the way that I gave? Give? What, if, what if everybody loved the way that I love? What would that look like? Would that be good? Would that be not so good? And Lord, we just pray, we don't pray, pray just no condemnation. We just pray, God, that you would heal us and you would change us, that you would give us a heart that you have for your church. And Lord, even in the areas where we find ourselves frustrated or, or, or upset about the church or thinking this or that about it, that, that we would be willing to, to be a part of some positive change. We would be a, a part of the solution, that we wouldn't be a people who just give up and go down the road. So Lord, we thank you. We pray that this church would, would, would follow close to you, Lord. We want to follow close to you. We want to we see uh, the world changed around us. We want to see people come to know you, Jesus. And we just give you praise because you're worthy this day. And regardless of what's going on in the world, Lord, we thank you that you've given your church one mission, which is just simply to make disciples. God, when it's hard out there, we're supposed to make disciples. And when it's good and easy, we're supposed to make disciples. So Lord, may we be that too. May we be a discipling community right here. May we enter into that and may we embrace that with the whole of who we are. So we thank you for this day, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.